Hello and welcome to Postgres FM, a weekly show about all things PostgreSQL. I'm Michael, founder of PG Mustard. This is my co-host Nikolai, founder of Postgres AI. Hey Nikolai, what are we talking about today? Hi Michael, benchmarking. Simple as that. Yeah. Very easy word. Okay, database benchmarking. But actually not only database benchmarking. I think you cannot conduct database experiments benchmarks without involving also smaller micro benchmarks. So let's talk about them as well. And of course, in the context of databases. Yeah, it's an extremely complicated topic that I'm sure we can start simply with at least. And I'm looking forward to seeing how far we get. It's not something I have a ton of experience with personally, but I have tried a little bit, I've dipped my toe in. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what the like the more complex side of it can look like. Why, why, why difficult? You just run bench and see how many TPS you have. That's it, no? no? Like it's easy. <laughs> Right. The more I learn about it, the trickier it gets. But yeah, actually, I'm, I absolutely agree with you. I, I consider myself as a as a one percent of database benchmarking expert, not knowing other ninety nine percent, trying to constantly learn and study more areas. So I agree. This is a very deep topic where you think the more you know, the more you understand. You don't know, right? Yeah. Awesome. So where should we start? We should start about the goals, I think, for benchmarking. There are several cases I can think of. Number one goal, usually, let's check the limits. And why is it so? Because by default, PGBench does exactly that. It doesn't limit your TPS, doesn't limit anything. So you are checking, you're basically performing stress testing. Not just regular load testing, but stress testing. You're exploring limits of your system. And the limits, of course, d- depend on the various factors and of on w- w- database itself and workload itself. But if you just get PGBench and just create, I don't know, like 100 million r- records in PGBench accounts, I think it's dash I 10,000 or so, I don't remember. By default, w- dash I1 in initialization step means 100,000 rows in the table, right? So basically, it's just a sing- or just only one table is big, others, other tr- three tables are small, and then you just, uh, if you do it as is, it will run as much, as many TPS as possible. If you remember that you have not only one core, but many cores, you will probably try to use dash C and dash J, and then it's already more interesting, but basically you're performing stress testing and exploring limits. It's definitely a good goal, but I think it should not be number one goal for database engineers. Number one goal should be, let's make data-driven decision when comparing several situations. For example, we want to upgrade, perform major upgrade, and we want to compare uh, the system behavior before and after. So, so, second goal, and I think it's more important than exploring limits. Limits, knowing limits is definitely a good thing, but we don't want our system in production to live under, like, near to limits in saturation. So, we want it to live uh, like CPU below 50%, other resources, network, memory, and disk IO, they should be below some thresholds. So, that's why second goal, supporting decisions. I think it's more important and I wish PGBench default behavior was like, let's limit TPS to have some more realistic situation and focus on latencies. So second goal, second goal is making decisions. And what about other goals? What do you think? There are a couple of more maybe. 
Well, on the on the decisions front, I think that's super interesting, and I think there's maybe even a couple of categories within that we might be checking something we hope would be an Im- improvement. So it's kind of, it's kind of like an experiment, right? You have a hypothesis. It, yeah. I might be checking something that I hope has improved matters, or I might be checking something like the upgrade and trying to check that there aren't any regressions. So either way I have kind of like a null hypothesis and I might be trying, hoping for an improvement, or I might be just checking that there aren't, there isn't a big change in the other direction. The other times I see this is like new, new feature work, people planning ahead i think that's your so if people want to kind of plan ahead see see how much headroom they have but i guess that's the seeing where limits are i guess it's the micro benchmark side of things that you were talking about but even in just little performance optimizations if people are doing performance work they might want to check on a smaller scale i have an idea let's keep goal number one is as a stress test to understand limits and let's split the goal number two to two goals like number two and number three. Number two will be exactly regression testing. So you want to ensure that it won't become worse at least, but maybe it will Mm -hmm. be improved in various aspects. And the goal number three is, for example, imagine a situation when you need to deploy a new system and you need to make a choice between various types of of instances. So it's not regression, it's making decision what type of platform Intel versus AMD or, or ARM to use and so on, which type of disks to choose. So you're comparing various things and make choice. As for micro benchmarks, I think this is underlying goal which needs to be involved in each goal. But I have number four goal, actually. Yeah, and, go uh, on. Benchmarking to advertise some product. Yeah, <laughs> the, the famous benchmarking. benchmarking. But it is often, because it's the, because a lot of the other ones are internal benchmarks, it, the one that a lot of us see other companies publishing, the majority of benchmarks we'll see out in the world are these kind of marketing posts that are often vendors comparing themselves to others based on some right. standards. Some, sometimes I like this. For example, I remember the post from Alexander Kortkov. Postgres, how, how to make it possible to have million t- 1 million TPS with Postgres. It was 9.4 or 0.5 and some improvements were made in, in the buffer pool behavior and so on to reduce contention and so on. It was good post. And it was also done like in pairing mode with MySQL folks. So MySQL also achieved uh, 1 million TPS. Select only, but still like both systems uh, achieved that relatively at the same time. So four goals, right? Big goals. And I think uh, number two and three, and maybe two is more important because if you, you do upgrades at least once per year or two years usually, right, to, to keep up with the pace of Postgres development, at least it's recommended. And also sometimes you switch to new types of, uh, new type of hardware or cloud instances. Sometimes you upgrade the operational system and glibc version changes and so on and so on sometimes sometimes you change provider but what i would uh, mention here is uh, i i think it's not a good idea to use full-fledged benchmarking to check every product update so if you just release feature first of all it's it's very often situation usually you some people have a couple of deployments or more per day and benchmarking is expensive task to do it properly so in this case, as usual, I can mention our episode with about testing. I recommend to do it in shared environment. I would not call it benchmarking, but it's kind of performance testing as well. In shared environment, using single connection and focusing on I.O. 
number of rows and buffers, another episode. So this is for developers, but for infrastructure folks who, who need to upgrade Postgres annually or biannually and upgrade operational systems uh, once per several years, benchmarking is very important, right? Yeah, and just to check, you mean biannually, like every two years, you don't mean people trying to upgrade twice a year. Yeah, and, and exploring limits also important, but I would say this is extremely hard topic because, first of all, like, let's discuss how do we do it? How do we do uh, benchmarking? We need, uh, like, the most difficult, straight to the point, the most difficult part is workload, right? So, As in making it realistic, or what's the, what do you yeah. mean by that? Exactly. So there are several several uh, approaches to to have proper workload. First is uh, very simple. You take PGBench and you rely on what it does. But it, it's very, very simple workload. And I remember like some years ago, less than 10 actually, so not that long ago, PGBench was criticized heavily for not having various kinds of distribution when, when it sense selects uh, like single row selects uh, based on primary key lookup it chooses ids randomly and this is like evenly distributed choice and it's not what happens in reality in reality we usually have uh, like some hot area right of of users or of posts yep, of any, uh, some items and the uh, kind of cold area right and uh, i remember sysbench author criticized it saying sysbench supports Postgres. He's my SQL guy, so it was quite heavy criticism. I remember quite like very emotional articles uh, in Russian, actually. And the idea was right. Sysbench supports Postgres and it supports ZipFan distribution. ZipFan distribution is, is closer to reality, to how social media is working. So with this hot area. But since then, PGBench already got this support, and we, when we run PGBench, we can choose Zipfian distribution to be closer to reality. But of course, it will be very far from reality since still, right? Because it's yeah. some kind of synthetic workload. And what, how can we do better? Is it worth noting that for some things, PGBench is fine? Like, if depending on exactly what we're testing, I see, I saw Andres Freund, for example, when he published about the improvements to connection management on the Microsoft blog, very, very good blog post. But to just to, just to show how the patch worked well with memory management at high numbers of connections, PGBench is great. It did a, yeah, you know, well, you don't, yeah. it doesn't, so it's, so depending on exactly what you're testing, the nature of the workload might, may or may not matter so much. Right, but this is for Postgres development itself, and it's about yeah. limits again. But I'm talking again. I, I'm I'm talking about a general situation where database engineer like DBA, DBRE, or some backend developer who wants to be more uh, more active in the database area, they need to usually need to compare, and they need to talk about their own system. So in this case, PGBench can still be used, but it should be used very differently. So we need to move from synthetic workloads, purely synthetic, like something in space, right? Something living in space uh, far from reality. We need to move closer to reality. And on the other side of possible workload types is a real production workload. And like the main approach here is to have mirroring of production workload, which should be very low overhead, which is tricky. And it's just like, for, imagine some proxy which receives all queries from application 
and sends these queries to the main node, which is production node, and also it sends them to a like shadow production node, and ignoring the responses from the second. It would be great to have, right? It doesn't exist uh, in, in, I don't know any such tool developed yet, but hopefully it will be created soon. There are some ideas. A previous employer of mine, GoCardless, released a tool called PG Replay Go, and that, that the whole... This is different. This I know different. it's different, but it's the, the aim is the same, right? It's to no, replay... No. I mean, I mean, yeah, well, well yeah. imagine the like if we talk about mirroring of of course aim is the same to have uh, similar to production workload uh, ideally identical right but with mirroring you can achieve identical with replaying it's more it's much like more difficult but but i would say that most people's workload like yesterday's workload is very likely to be similar to today's and to tomorrow's, right? Like if, if you're talking about getting close to, right. Right. but yeah, I do appreciate that you can't like, I, I think also even, even mirroring production isn't quite what we need, right? Like if we, if we want to, we want to kind of want to anticipate, right? When we're benchmarking, we want to say what we want to know, how will it perform? Not with today's workload, but with tomorrow's, you know, or like, in Depending a month's time, if we, yeah. if we talk about regression, uh, I would I would like to replay. I would choose this because in this case I can directly compare, for example, behavior of new Postgres and next Postgres, major Postgres version, or yeah. behavior of Postgres in different Ubuntu versions, right? Or, for example, compare with different instance types, and of course you can get it and put it into like your fleet, like a standby node in this case. If glibc version didn't change, if major Postgres upgrade didn't, didn't happen, you can, for some kinds of testing, you can do that, and it would be like kind of A-B testing or blue-green de deployments, because some part of your customers will use it, really use it. But mirroring gives you less, like fewer risks because if something goes wrong customers will, will not notice but still you can compare all characteristics like cpu level and so on and so on a replay will be uh, was a uh, next item in my list i i like okay, it i spent a couple of years exploring this path right now i don't use it directly like replaying from logs i i believe in this idea less my belief dropped a little bit after I spent some time with PG Replay and PG Replay Go. Why? Because the hardest part of replaying workload is how to collect the logs. Like logs collection under heavy load is a big issue because it it's, it's quickly becoming a bottleneck and the observer effect hits you very quickly. Fortunately, these days already we can log only some fraction of whole stream of queries because there are a couple of settings for sampling, right? For example, we can say we want to log all queries, but only 1% of them, and we can do it at transaction level, which is good. And then when replaying, we can say, okay, let's go 100x in terms of what we have. But in this case, the problem will be you will work with smaller set of IDs, for example, right? Yeah. You need to find a way. Like, and we come to the same problem of distribution, how to find proper distribution. So in reality, what we usually really do, we combine synthetic approach, like simulation. We've, uh, we take information from PGSTAR statements, right? And uh, then we try to find a way to get some query parameters. 
And then we can use various tools, for example, JMeter or even PGBench. PGBench, you can feed multiple files using dash F and you can balance, uh, you can put some weights in terms of how often each file should be used at sign and some number. So in this case, you can say, I want this file to be used in two times more often than the other file, for example. And you can have some kind of workload. You can try to achieve some kind of situation you have in production, at least having like top 100 queries by calls and to top 100 queries by total time. Usually we combine these things both. And uh, you can replay quite reliable in terms of uh, reproduction. Also big question. Replay gives you a good idea that you can replay multiple times, right? So you can use workload you already created and replay, replay, and have a whole week uh, playing with it. With mirroring, you don't have it. it. Usually, it's only right now. You, If you want to compare 10 options, you need to run 10 instances right now. And if tomorrow you have some other idea, you already don't have exactly the same workload. So there are pros and cons for these options as well. But I still think mirroring is very powerful for regression testing in some cases. Replay, well, replay is hard, but possible and if you understand the downsides of it, right? Yep, makes sense. On the pros and cons side of things, where do you end up? Like, is there like a size? Like, I'm thinking replay might be good up to a certain volume, like for smaller shops that still want to check. Performance is still important, but they're not they've not got a huge uh, number of transactions per second i'm guessing replay is like a nice nicer way to go yeah i just want to warn folks about yeah. uh, this um, uh, observer effect when you enable a lot of logging you there, there you definitely need to understand the limits so i would test it properly understand how many lines per second we can ha afford in production, in terms of disk I.O., first of all. And of course, login collector should be enabled uh, in CSV format. It's easier to, to work with. And uh, I've, I've myself put a couple of uh, very important production systems down just because of this type of mistakes. So yeah. I, I, will, I would like to share this. Don't do it. I, I, I knew it will happen. And still, like I was not super, super careful, uh, careful enough and uh, had a few minutes of downtime in a couple of cases. But in one case, I, uh, we implemented a one kind of crazy idea. Also, any, any change with like enabling login collector and changes in the login system and post, this requires a restart. This is a downside as well. So you cannot, for example, say, I want to temporarily log 100% of queries to RAM using like RAM disk, TMPFS, right? And then switch back. But in one case, it was my own social media startup. So I, I decided to afford that risk and I decided to go that route. We implemented quite interesting idea. We allocated some part of um, memory to that. And we started to like very uh, quite intensive log rotation. So we sent those like, archive logs, new log created, uh, so not to reach the, the limit in terms of memory. And in this case, we enabled 100% of queries to be logged, and we had good results. So we collected for replay, we collected a lot of logs and did it. Right. Nice. So it's possible uh, if you can afford restarts, actually. The downside was, uh, actually, in that system, we enabled it for all, like, permanently. So just one restart, and it's working. But of course, there is some risk to reach limit and have downtime. It's quite dangerous approach. So let's let's uh, rewind to the fact that like 
replay versus mirror versus simulation. I, I call it actually crafted workload. Crafted workload. Oh, like the like the hybrid approach. Yeah, yeah. You just you use Pegista statements, uh, understanding proportions uh, of each query group. But Pegista statements doesn't have parameters. You extract parameters from somewhere else. For example, you can use Pegista activity, or actually you can use eBPF to extract parameters. It's possible. Uh, we had this like it's very new approach, but I think it's very promising. Have you ever used? There's a there's a Postgres extension I think by the Power team in a monitoring well, tool. Well, they do, I think, yes, if that's yeah, it. that's a good idea. I haven't explored that path. I think it's also a valid idea to understand. But uh, the problem will be correlation if query has many parameters. How to yeah. like all ideas to use pretty statistic for example to invent some parameters, some kind of almost random, but with some understanding of distribution. They are not so good because uh, you, correlation is a big thing and usually you don't have create statistics. Not many folks these days still use create statistics, so you, like it's hard. But extracting from pages activity is, is, I think, it's my default choice. But default there for query column, default is 1,024 1, characters only. I think it should be increased like to 10K. Usually, because if you have large queries, you you definitely want to have it. This is one of defaults that also should be adjusted, uh, recalling our last episode. But usually people do it, but unfortunately, again, you need restart. Yeah. But once you increase, you can collect samples from there. Majority of queries will be captured. The only problem will be how to join these sets of data and modern Postgres latest versions have query ID both in Pegista activity and Pegista statements, right? And maybe in logs, I don't remember exactly. But if you have older Postgres, for example, Postgres 13, 12, 11, uh, you need to use a library called PGQuery to join these sets and for each entry in Pegista statements to have multiple uh, examples from activity. So this is uh, how we can do some kind of crafted workload, and then we use some tool, even PageBench is possible to generate, to simulate workload. We understand it's far from reality, but it's already much better than purely synthetic workload. So let's talk about general picture very briefly. I have like structure, I have a couple of talks about benchmarking, I call them database experiments. Regression is number one case for me usually. But if you imagine something is as input and something is as output, and input is quite simple. It's just environment, instance type, Postgres version, database you have. Actually, database you have, is, it's already object, then workload, and maybe some delta if you want to compare, like before and after. You need to describe. The difference is this. You can have multiple options there, of course, if you compare multiple options. Right? I mean... It's just like a science experiment, right? You have all the things that you're keeping the same and then hopefully just the one thing that you're changing. Or, you know, if it's multiple things, the list of things that you're changing. And then you've got your null hypothesis and you've got your, you know, you're checking that. Uh, In fact, actually, that's a good question. Do you take a statistical approach to this? Like, are you calculating how long you need to run these for for it to be significant? Here we come to... Of the output and analysis, this is the, okay. like we discussed workload too much because it's very hard to have yeah, very yeah. workload in each case. But the most interesting part is output and analysis. And for that, you need to understand performance in general. Without understanding, you will have something measured. 
and like, okay, we have this number of TPS. But with, for example, very basic example, we have this number of TPS or we had a controlled TPS and we have these latencies for each query and average latency or percentiles involved. But question is, where was the bottleneck? And referring to Brandon Gregg's book, chapter number 12, question number one is, can we double all our, like, can we double throughput and uh, reduce latencies? Why not, right? To answer that, you need to, th- to understand bottleneck. And to understand bottleneck, we need to be experts in performance, uh, system performance in general, and database particularly. So we need to be able to understand how we I.O. bound or CPU bound, if CPU, what exactly happened, if I.O., what is causing this. To give you some example, uh, we had a couple of years ago, we considered with uh, one client, we considered to switch from Intel to AMD on Google Cloud. And AMD somehow we jumped straight to database benchmarking, and it, it showed that uh, on AMD we could, we can like all latencies are higher, throughput if we go with stress testing is worse, even if throughput is controlled same but latencies are higher. We, like what, what's what, what's happening, and without analysis we, we just would make conclusion that it's worse. But with analysis, we quite quickly understood that we suspect that disk I.O. has issues there on uh, AMD uh, instances. Uh, Epic ROM, I think it was, second generation of Epics. So then we go- went down to microbenchmarks finally and uh, checked uh, FIO and understood that indeed, if we remove Postgres out of picture and see that even if you compare FIO basic tests, uh, everyone should know how to do it. It's quite easy, like random reads, random writes, sequential reads, sequential writes. We see that indeed uh, disk, disks behave. We cannot reach limits, advertised limits, like two gigabytes per second throughput, 100,000 IOPS. Uh, we check documentation and see we need to have them. On Intel we have them, on AMD we don't have them. We went to Google engineers, Google support, and at some point they admitted that there is a problem. By the way, disclaimer, right now it looks like they don't have it. Recently we checked once again, it looks like they don't have it anymore, probably fixed. And it was, not a, it was definitely not a problem with AMD itself. It was something in Google Cloud particularly. But this raises the question, why didn't we use FIO checks in the very beginning, right? And the answer is, uh, I think we should always start with micro benchmarks because actually micro benchmarks is much easier to conduct. You just Less work, work right? and faster, right? You just yeah. take your instance, your virtual machine or rail machine with disks, and you run FIO for IO check, disk IO check, and you run, for example, sysbench to check CPU and memory, and compare. S- same tests lasting some minutes. It's very fast, and compare. Right, and uh, in this case, uh, you don't need to like to think about very hard workload or to fill all the caches. And, oh, well, okay. In, in the case of memory, you probably need, but with FIO disk checks, it's easy. Like, I mean, you don't need to fill the buffer pool and so on. So, in this case, it's, it will already give you insights about difference in machines and also important point we actually had it in a in couple of cases where we automated benchmarks i think it should be always done even if you don't change instance type if you don't change disk type 
you still need to do it to come if you run benchmarks on different actual machines even if it's the same type you need to compare them because sometimes you have some different cpu even if it's the same instance type or you can also have some faulty ram for example or faulty disks so micro benchmarks help you understand that you are comparing apples you are having apples versus apples comparison in terms of environment yeah and it's i guess you made some really good points it's not just about not trusting the cloud providers it could also be something else that's gone wrong yeah yeah especially since it's becoming more popular to consider moving out of clouds i just read another article this morning about this so cost optimization yeah so yeah and then analysis analysis is a huge topic really huge but my approach is let's collect all artifacts as many as possible and store them let's automate collection of artifacts so for example let's have snapshots before and after each run for all pgstat system views including pgstat statements extension of course so we are able to compare them and uh, of course all logs should be collected for example one of uh, one of mistakes is okay we have better tps but if you check logs you see that some uh, of transactions failed that's why it was so fast on average right <laughs> it's uh, like uh, error checking is very important and uh, if you don't collect logs automatically you probably will be very sad afterwards because if you already destroyed machine or reinitialized it you don't have those logs. Look, like artifact collection should be automated and as much as possible, you need to collect everything. Yeah, I was going to say, because you can spend, you could be spending hours on these things in terms of even just letting them run, never mind all the setup and everything. It's not trivial to run it again to get, to get these things. Or if, if somebody, if something looks off, if somebody, if you're presenting it to your team or somebody doesn't trust the results, they can look into it as well. Yeah, actually, uh, one of the concepts Brandon Gregg explains in his book and talks uh, that benchmarks should not be uh, running without humans involved. Uh, like humans should be uh, like, because you can have um, good thoughts just checking artifacts afterwards, but during benchmark, you can have some idea to check something else. And it's better to be there at least in, in the beginning, first several runs. But still, benchmarks can be automated and run without humans, but it just requires a better level of implementation. And uh, I, I agree with you, like, you collected artifacts, your colleagues may raise new questions. If everything is automated, you can repeat it. But of course, it's usually quite expensive in terms of resources, hardware, and uh, ti- human time, engineering time. But uh, uh, like, I also w- wanted to mention in terms of artifacts collection, one of the artifacts I, I consider is uh, dashboards and charts from monitoring. And I'm very surprised how still most monitoring systems don't think about non-production and benchmarking. If you, for example, have Grafana and register each new instance which you have temporarily, you will have spam in your host list, right? But some instance lived only a couple of days, for example, already destroyed, but we still need the data to be present. And instance names are changing depending on benchmarking activities. And you have spam. Like, what I like is to use net data, which is installed using one liner. And it's like in place monitoring already there. And then you can export dashboards manually. Unfortunately, it's only like it's client side and browser feature. So automation here is not possible. Although I raised with uh, Nate data developers that and they agreed that it would be great to have API 
for exporting and importing dashboards. But at least right now, you can open export to file and then later you can open several dashboards for several runs and directly compare CPU, RAM, all the things. I would like to have this in all monitoring systems, especially with API to automate it. It would be great. Right now, we can provide in our show notes a couple of examples how my team is conducting this kind of benchmarks. It's quite good. Like We store it sometimes uh, openly. So, for example, let's uh, enable wall compression. Will it be better or worse? And we can conduct experiments. We store them. Some This kind of experiment, it's publicly available. And you have artifacts there. So you can load them later to Nate data and compare without and with compression and play with those dashboards yourself. And of course, we automate everything so anyone can reproduce the same type of testing in their own situation. So I, I like actually benchmarking. It's a very powerful thing, but of course, it requires a lot of knowledge. So we, we try to help other companies in this area as we can in terms of consulting as well. Nice. In terms of resources, you mentioned Brendan Gregg's book. Is there, are there any other case, like case studies that you've seen people publish that you think are really worth reading through or any any other guides? Oh, since, yeah, I, I like uh, Thomas Wondra's micro benchmarks for file systems in, the, in, in Postgres context. It's so cool. It's not only micro benchmarks. It's real. I think PGBench was used there. In terms of benchmarks people conduct, I very rarely see super informative benchmarks. But usually, when I see some benchmark, I quite quickly find some issues with this, and uh, the, like I have questions and want to improve. But so I cannot mention particular benchmarks except this file system benchmark. But may maybe there are some cases. Yeah, there's only one that comes to mind in addition. Yeah, there's there's some great ones in the Postgres community, but out, slightly outside of that, I think Mark Callahan's doing some good work publishing comparisons between between database management systems for different types of benchmarks. I think that's pretty cool and worth checking out for people. If well, I, I like if everything is open and can be reproduced and fully automated. And we can mention here this new Postgres-based project uh, called Hydra. Uh, yeah, like open source Snowflake, and we had uh, we had episode with them on Postgres TV recently, and they used a tool from ClickHouse. But of course, the first question was there was why so small instance and that yeah. sm small size of database, and and they admitted this is so, but this is what this tool does, and I hope they will publish new episode of benchmarks with more realistic situation for analytical cases, because on an analytical yeah. case we usually have a lot of data not enough RAM, and so on. And instances usually are bigger, and so on. But what I like there is that some uh, like kind of standard de facto for analytical databases tool was used, and you can exactly, you can compare a lot of different systems, including Postgres itself, and Timescale, and this new Hydra project. And you can reproduce yourself, it's great. So this is, this is kind of approach that I do like, although I have, I still have questions about realistic or not. So, yeah, of course. Wonderful. Any last things you wanted to make sure we covered? Uh, yeah, I read uh, Ben Gregg's book. I have it here, actually, this second edition system performance, a lot of uh, good things and uh, become better performance engineer uh, if you want to conduct benchmarks and understand what's happening under the hood. So without understanding of internals, it's quite 
black box benchmarking it's not working properly and i did it also many times and failed in terms of okay we we see a but uh, we conclude b but what happened in reality was c right <laughs> so awesome well thank you so much um thanks everyone for listening and uh, catch you next week thank you as usual uh, reminder please distribute help us grow i i saw uh, michael sh- showed me numbers this morning and they look very good i would say so we are growing but i would like to grow more and more of course because i like feedback uh, and it drives me to share of course i like when people uh, suggest ideas actually we have a few more suggestions happened last week so probably we should review them and use them in next episodes but uh, i particularly ask everyone to consider sharing with your colleagues at least for those episodes which you think can be helpful to them and as usual please subscribe don't forget to subscribe like but sharing is most important right thank you uh, we we love your feedback thank you so much yeah absolutely thanks everyone thank bye bye